Coming to you live from Long Island, New York, and our beautiful town of Babylon. On this episode, we have Mike Simonelli as our guest. He's a retired military, a police officer, and an author of Justified Deadly Force and the Myth of Systemic Racism. This is her Community 2 podcast. I am your host, Catherine. Now we begin. All right. Good evening, everybody, to tonight's episode. It's really special. I know we normally record one day a week, but we're going to do it twice, especially with the holiday week coming up, which for Thanksgiving 2021. So with us tonight is a candidate, but also a police officer, um, military uh, vet. Am I right, Mike? Yes, yes. I did 30 years with the military. Right. Army so tonight, and the Air Force. Army and Air Force. Very interesting. My daughter's mm. in the Air Force, so that's very, very interesting. She's living the good life. Good for her. Yeah, she is. <laughs> um, so tonight we have Mike Simonelli out of, am I correct, St. James? Yes, you got it. Okay, and Suffolk County, Long Island. So now mostly the podcast is, uh, it is local, but now we're focusing on Long Island. So, which generates a lot of numbers because now a lot of people want to listen to it since it's local. Everybody wants to hear about their hometown, their county, and the area of Long uh, Long Island. So, I met Mike through the fundraiser you were having when you were running for county legislator uh, for Suffolk County, which I never met you. I was told to go to your fundraiser. Um along with the race that I was running for. And um, so I decided to go. Well, thank you for and, coming um, out and supporting. I appreciate it. it. Yes, I've, and absolutely. And um, you are running against the uh, legislator, Rob Trotter, incumbent. Yes. And I decided to go in spite of that because I wanted to see what you were about. I don't vote party lines. Right, I that's vote good. independent. Yeah, I, I wanted to see what you were about, what you stood for. And I went ahead and I went. I got to know... Um, some of the people who attended your event and the people who were working for your campaign and they had the bright red shirts with the white lettering. So I picked the <laughs> one and um, all he did was nonstop talk about you, what you stood for, who you are. I didn't know you were still currently a police officer for Suffolk County. So that was really interesting. Yes. And the military. And I'm like, oh, my God, who is this guy? And then he said you were an author. I'm like, What? Yeah, like, yep. I, I didn't bother. I couldn't really get a chance to go in depth to talk about it, but uh, give us a little bit of background. So you started off in the military, correct? Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn, and uh, when I was seventeen, I went from public schools in Brooklyn right into the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Uh, I just always wanted to to serve, and that was a great way to do it. You get commissioned as a second lieutenant. So when I graduated there, I ended up being stationed in Italy. Bella Italia for three years. It was an amazing experience. Played semi-pro baseball. Uh, became fluent in Italian. I didn't have the, the most exciting career, though, field. It was, uh, I was put in finance, and that was because it was the end of the Cold War, and my class was the first one in academy history that they didn't just give everybody a pilot slot for graduating. Um, be- because the Cold War ended, they, there was a dramatic decrease in the number of pilots that they needed. So they put a lot of us into other career fields. I got put into finance. So I did my five years uh, active duty is what you owe when you graduate in the academy. Right. And uh, so from Italy, I went to Texas and then Saudi Arabia. Then I came back to New York. I was applying to all the alphabet agencies, FBI, DEA, C- CIA. And uh, the first one that took me in was NYPD. So, I, you know, they were quick. It was pretty funny going to the precinct. I'm getting the application and the guys asked me my background. I explained it to them like, why are you doing this? What are you crazy? I think that was horrible. You know, I grew up in Brooklyn. I, I, I loved Brooklyn. And it just felt horrible that they hated their job so much because of how they were treated that they were like, do you sure you want to do this? But I did. I, I, uh, I got in the academy and uh, in March of 2000. And then, as luck would have it, six months later, Suffolk County called. And when Suffolk County calls, you answer. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I came out here, and I've been on the job here ever since. Um, But then at the same time, when I was back home, I switched from the Air Force to the Army. I uh, went into the National Guard, 
And then when a friend of mine in my precinct, he was in Civil Affairs Special Operations Battalion, he told me that his battalion was going to invade Iraq in 2002. In the future, in 2003, they would be invading. So I put the paperwork in, I switched over, got into that unit, and sure enough, uh, after a few months training up at Fort Bragg, we invaded Iraq in 2003. So I spent the first year of the war there and uh, came home back to police work. And then seven years later, I got a chance, you know, being a New Yorker, 9-11 was very personal to me, as I'm sure it is to many of us. Right. I got a chance to deploy to Afghanistan for the surge. So I, I uh, signed up for that. And I went over there as a deputy provincial reconstruction team leader. And uh, I spent the year in Logman province and in um, uh, Bagram airfield, and then flying around to different places. And uh, then after that mission, I came home I worked for the general as an equal opportunity program advisor. I was a NATO instructor going in Europe a few times. And uh, my last assignment was to Pacific Command, where I was a theater security clearance uh, cooperation person, just running security for their conferences. And then I retired. Re retired from the military for 30 years. And now I've been a full-time police officer. And I'm also a PBA um, board member. I was the oh. treasurer for... So, and now that, you're sergeant of arms. Right. I'm see. I'm glad you you've been following along because some people still think I'm the treasurer. <laughs> oh no! I spent the whole day uh, reading your book, which we'll talk about in a minute. Reading the book and um, uh, going into your background because I find it fascinating how you have an extensive extensive leadership skills. You have to in branches of the military because right. you either got to be a follower, and then you go into leadership, which I everyone says those are skills, but either you have it or you don't, I believe. Yes. And you, you certainly uh, do. Thank and you. following with you going uh, with your campaign, I wasn't impressed uh, with the uh, skills and what everybody was talking about you, you know, because I, I really knew nothing about you. I went with an open mind, which I right. do with so many things. And uh, so I was impressed with a lot of things that you had to say. You were working the room, working with everybody. You didn't keep to yourself. You didn't stay with one click. You were really generally uh, leading the room that day uh, or you. that evening at that fundraiser. So I came across as, um, you know what? Yeah, this guy I can easily uh, vote for. You know, that wrote a book. And so the book, which is called Justified Deadly Force and the Myth of Systemic Racism, which um, I had the Kindle reader, which I think a lot of people do. It, it's a, right. a monthly subscription where you can read up to eight books at once and put it back. Some books are free, some are not. I got into that a few years ago and I actually met a really good friend of mine on there she is an author and i became friends with her and um she wrote it that's how i got my start in sex trafficking advocacy so oh, okay it's really uh interesting so i got your book um it was only 10.99 and that's a steal oh, because great. i saw the book that you were handing out which i was kind of like looking for my copy but i guess i, <laughs> <laughs> I guess i didn't go <laughs> i was like that's a nice looking book a nice hard cover yeah, they did a, did a real nice they job. They did a Press. really nice job. I yes. was very surprised to see that. And so I was reading it. And um, it's followed up with the, um, there's a lot of facts in that book. And I was really interested in it because my uh, ex-husband um, was an LAPD officer when the Rodney uh, King oh, riots broke out. That, that's mentioned in there. Okay. And yes. And which I didn't know when I grew up in LA all my life is that there there was even racism going on, right? But I grew up in the um, in the valley part, so of course I'm not paying attention to that until uh, he got hired, which was in the '80s. Right. And uh, I remember when Rodney King came out, and I was like, you know, I remember asking him, "There's racism in LA?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, big time." <laughs> and he and he's experienced firsthand because he is Cuban, okay, as well as I as half uh, Mexican and Cuban. So we are first him and I were first born generation. So have I experienced as much racism as the African American community? Probably not, but I know my right. son has because he is dark complected. Okay, he took after my dad's side of the family, so I was always um like a little weirded out if he were to get pulled over. And his dad used to tell him all the time, you know, yeah. 
Do exactly what the police tell you to do. Do not be um, arrogant. Right. Do not say, well, my dad is, you know, so-and-so or whatever. Don't right. never do that. And, um, and he always did. He always was respectful and their dad, um, never gave them any type of uh, courtesy cards. He didn't want them to know, no. wow. you know, not that, uh, it, listen, if you're doing, if you're in the wrong, fess up and just, right, right. you know, pay the price like everybody else. So with this book, I found interesting because the media has a lot to do with the racism. Correct? Oh, huge. They're driving the story. It's they really are. Incredibly. And I do notice it. Um, a lot. And it brought me back again to when my husband had, um, he used to work, he he was very, very young looking in the 80s. And because of that, they put him on a ghost team, which stood for something in the parts of like gangs and when the bloods and colors and, and uh, or whatever were popular in the 80s. So he was always working in that uh, task force. He kind of got like uh, recruited. And he used to you know, when there was a killing with the gangs in the African-American community, they always mm -hmm. posted a picture of the kid dressed in um, uh, like a, a nice school uh, plaid shirt or something like that, like a school picture where it doesn't depict the kid. So it always looks like the cops were against that kid solely because he was black. And, and this was going back in the 80s. And I'm like, really? Are you serious? I mean, it was an eye opener. Yeah. So when I was reading the book, it brought me back to a lot of that. But the, yeah, you're right. The media plays a huge part. And the government does too. Am I correct? Yes, 100%. Because you see, we're government leaders, which um, police related deaths they comment on and which ones they don't. And it's like a, uh, it's a circular um, firing squad type thing where the media will, will put stories out about the incident, about the person, the politicians comment on it, which drives another story, and it's just round and round they go. Whereas other incidents, typically of other minorities, so Hispanic, Latino, uh, Native American, and whites, when they're involved in uh, deadly police shootings, they don't... The um, politicians and the activists don't comment on those. So then there's no stories to write about those. So, you know, the stories it's dead before it even gets started. Right. But why do you think that is that? Why do I think that is? They're actively driving a narrative trying to divide the country based upon race and the Achilles heel for our country because of the history of slavery has been always will be black versus white slavery versus you know the the slave owners right uh, think about you know they do that 1619 project they're trying to bring it back before the creation of america to put slavery uh, on us from then when we weren't even a country it's just that russians saw this isis uses it they all understand our enemies understand the way to divide america is by dividing us along racial lines black and white and it's kind of like divide and conquer correct absolutely and, and it's working. And it is working because I've never seen so much division in my entire life. And I we're the pretty much the same age. I believe you're 50. Yep. Sure. Okay, that's, that's creepy that I know you're. <laughs> <laughs> you've really been reading up on me. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm 52. And so because I was trying to connect to see where you were coming from and to see everything that uh, like through your eyes, which mm. I do see. Because it is, I've never seen so much division, especially right. with the shootings out there, how everything's turning into and everything's all about race. Yes, they always mention it. And where I'm coming from is a public school in Brooklyn where I, at whites were the minority in my high school. So that's where I grew up. And then I went into the military where you don't see race. My first two commanders in the Air Force Academy were black. You know, the people I served alongside, black, white, Spanish, it didn't matter. What mattered was you... You were going to do the mission. You were qualified, trained up. You were going to have each other's back. So all this racial division that I see, it drives me crazy. And then being a cop and seeing firsthand, we do not target people of any color, you know, for any reason. Now, and do you think there's some that might do that? Not that I'm not asking if you know anyone personally, but do you think that right. there just might be a bad apple out there that does that? Well, look, there, there could be, there's bad apples in, in every profession. 
Exactly. So I, I'm not speaking for 100%, but I could tell you the, all the people I've worked with, I've never once come across somebody that, you know, let's go get this person because of their color. We go after people based on actions. You know, why do people stand out? What are they doing? Does this person belong in this neighborhood? Regardless of, you know, it could be an all black neighborhood where you would have a white kid at two o'clock in the morning driving his car and, and the car comes back to, say, Port Jefferson and he's down in, in Brentwood. Now, mm-hmm. You're kind of curious, what is this person doing here? But that's a good way of finding out. Yes, you're spotting out something that doesn't belong there. Exactly. And and, and to me, that would be like, I'd be curious too, if I was like, why are you here? What's going on? What are you doing? Is there something, you know, is there something going on where you're not profiling, but actually, you know, you're looking out for the neighborhood. Right. That's who you're protecting, the people that live there. The people that live there, yes. Right. And, right. and I agree, yes. I, I totally agree with you, Dad. Now, there was something on social media where a woman put out um, in a group, um, she was putting out a lot of racial, um, and this was done by an African woman uh, lady who uh, was putting out things that were racial like when somebody says they don't see when a white person says they don't see color right they're actually racist (laughs) now i went ahead and i responded to her because it was in my podcast group i told her Mm -hmm. um i say the same thing i told her i know i look white but i'm not i'm actually this now i say i don't see color what i'm trying to tell you is i don't give a shit what color you are exactly that's what i was trying to tell her it's not that we don't see color because we do i know i do but does it it doesn't matter to me in in any way shape or form so that's what i was trying to tell her and i think that's a lot of people when they mean by that when they say well i i don't see color everything's beautiful i feel like they're trying to say your color don't mean shit to me as long as you're a a decent human being that's all we really care about 100 percent. i could tell you going into the military from from brooklyn i was more comfortable more at ease with black people from la from other cities around the country than i was with the white farm boys from the middle of the country it's just like totally different people to me, you know, the, the country boys than the city guys. So color means nothing. It's the person. It's how they act, how they carry themselves, what, you know, what's important to them. And so, are they decent? Are they law, law right. abiding citizens? Are yeah. they going to help the police? Are they going to just, you know, breed hate, spread hate? And when I was reading your book, you gave can I ask where you get all your information? Because it was just like spot on because I Googled a lot of the uh, points that you were making and you were very accurate. Oh, thank you. Well, let me start off by saying this. I, I apologize for not giving you a book, but let me, uh, <laughs> I'm not making any money from this book. See, 100% no, of the profits. No, you did say that at the meeting. Yes. yes. We had a, uh, celib- not a celebrate, but a thankful meeting that Mike and I went to to thank all the volunteers that had helped our campaigns and mm-hmm. who contribute a lot. And Mike was giving um, some of the uh, people who run the campaigns a copy of the book. And you did mention that you are not making any money, which was even more uh, interesting, that book, when you had said that. Because I know what it takes. It takes a lot to write and to research. Absolutely. This has been uh, over a year and a half of my life. And the genesis of it was... Back in January of 2020, I was writing my master's thesis. I was getting my master's in national security studies, and my master's thesis was on the the bias of of deadly police shootings, but the bias being by the protesters, press, and politicians, Mm -hmm. not the police. So for four months, I worked on that thesis. I finished it in April. Um, I got, I believe, an A on it. And then wouldn't you know it, the next month, the George Floyd incident happened. So the world blows up. Every cop is being labeled as a racist murderer. And here I am having just finished a thesis showing how there's absolutely race had nothing to do with the deadly police shootings over the from 2015 to 2018 are the years that I was studying. So after a couple of months of trying to educate people online, one on one and Facebook and doing some stuff on the radio, I said, you know what? I'm going to make a book. I'm, blow- I'm blowing the thesis up to a book, and I'm going to show the world how this is a false narrative that's being pushed. And, you know, people can reference this. That's why I wanted to make sure it was online so people can, you know, copy the 
the website and they could put it into their social media, into their Facebook arguments. And so these are the facts. These are the statistics. These are the individual stories. Cops are not shooting anybody because of their race. They're, they shoot people because they fear for their lives or the lives of somebody else. They, they fear the actions that a person, when they make a furtive movement to go to their waistband, more often than not, that's because they're going to access a weapon. Because think about it, like how you, you taught your son, how I teach my son, how I act when I'm stopped. You don't make sudden movements with the police there because the police don't know you. You know who the cop is, but they don't know you from Adam. So th they have to be scared because the sad truth is, on average, it's about 50-something uh, officers are felonially seen murdered in the line of duty each year. And that number's gone, gone up dramatically this year. Oh, okay. Well, I know that um, a lot of police wives, I was one, um, I know they get scared when their husband has to work being a police officer. Right. And the, you know, the threat of what if they don't come home? What if there's a shoot? You know, because it can happen at, at any time. Right. At any time. So it is real out there. And you are right. And as a matter of fact, I know with LAPD back in the 80s, I don't know if that program is still there. But I know at the division where my husband used to work, um, anybody who was involved in a shooting had to have not only therapy, um, and, and it's not for it's only for like extended amount of time. But the family has to be a part of that, like the wife, right? To try to understand what that person went through who was involved in the shooting. So yes, I I remember how scary it is to pull somebody over. Um, because you don't know who's in the car. It, it, you don't know if they have a weapon or not, if they're going to go out guns blazing. I would assume if somebody's got warrants out for their arrest or carrying a weapon, they feel like they got nothing to lose. Right. They start shooting, they're scared. Um, so, yeah, I do agree. But um, do you think maybe the public needs to know more about that so they can understand the concept of what the cop is going through? Because I know they say, well, you know, they're trained, but are you really, really trained for that split second decision? A hundred percent. The public should be more informed. And that was one of the purposes of this book. Uh, you know, they have civilian police academies, which puts people through a, a, sim, a shortened police academy that puts them in those situations where they'll make a simulated traffic stop or come upon somebody and have to confront them and they see just how quickly things can turn um yeah i mean you, you just truly never know yeah, and, I, and i know that for me on my part as a woman getting pulled over and which i have i was on the long island expressway and um i got uh, pulled over and I got nervous, even though it was during the daytime, I got nervous because, okay, oh my God, he's going to come up to the window. Right. What do I say? What do I do? Is this legit? You know, I, it, it, you hear about uh, copycat cards that look like the cops or whatever. So I was just very, very uh, leery. Right, so right. I can understand he's scared as well. You know, yes. even though I could be, I, I'm unassuming, but he doesn't really know that. <laughs> no, exactly. They don't. You know, once I just pulled over a woman who she's going through her pocketbook to get her ID, she puts it right up on the side of the door and boom, I see a gun and it happens to be, she's an off duty cop, but like, just like that, she could have, you know, it was that close to gun. Like, wow, that kind of woken me up because after you're doing it for so long, it's not like you're coming out of the Academy day one where you're supercharged up and you're, you know, you're always thinking this right now, what's that person's doing? What's the hands? I mean, we're always watching for hands. But you can kind of get a little lackadaisical, I, I would say, even though you're alert, but just not at the same level. So, and it's really hard to be a hyper. If you if you're hyper vigilant, you would get burnt out. Right. And so you you can't go that way either. So that's why the biggest thing that cops do is we observe. We observe how people are acting, how they're reacting to us, and we have indicators. And when somebody is not complying with what we say that's typically a strong indicator that they mean to do us harm. I would, I would definitely think so if you're not complying now in the instances that's going on now and today with the cops and say mm -hmm. the protesters right. um, and at rallies, um, they feel I, 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 I'm only assuming what, from what I see on, on TV that 
they don't have to listen to the cops, that they can challenge the authority that the cops have. And it puts the cops in a position to where, what do you think that might be? Like what, what, like what puts them in a position to where they're scared? Is it the defiance that the person has? Is it because they feel like they can't be touched? That cops are being filmed all the time now, it seems like automatically, even though the cop may have a body. Right. So it just seems like, what what is it to a cop that, because they're not thinking racism right away, they're thinking, what's going on? Or like, like, say if you're at a rally or at a protest and you're telling them, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And they're like in your face defying you. What powers do you have when they feel they can do that? Well, I mean, does the cop feel that they can still arrest or... I'd say in certain places, they don't feel like they can arrest. Fortunately, in Suffolk County, we still have the support of our electeds because our population, our voters, our residents, they still support the police and they want law and order here in Suffolk County. They, they don't want the chaos that we see in the city to come out here. So they're supportive of us. So the troublemakers know, they know what the lines are. There's a huge difference between a peaceful protest and being violent. And they know where where to stop themselves before they get to the point of doing something criminal because unlike the city which they are doing stuff criminal all the time but the cops don't have the support of their electeds if they put hands on they're in fear of being arrested and sued themselves and facing charges even though what they're doing is legitimate you know when they had that um diaphragm with the diaphragm law if by some chance they put the hands on and it gets on the person's pressure on their back or their stump or their chest they could say they're stopping their breathing and they could be charged criminally. So that, it's insane. It is insane. And it's very scary because when you want to make a career in law enforcement, which so many people like to do, which is great. Right. But unfortunately, if you don't have the backing, then what's the point? It's kind of like being a parent, you know, uh, the, the mom and dad, and you got one undermining the other. Well, right. I mean, what's the point? Then, you know, you, you, you give up. You're not doing your job and you can't do your job without the proper tools, which is the backing, I feel. And I think a lot of people, especially, and I'm segueing into the district attorney's uh, race, um, which a Republican, uh, Ray Tierney won over Democrat Tim Saney. I feel like a lot of people, especially with this red wave. Now, did you see this red wave coming that Uh, we so-called had in Suffolk and Nassau County, I should say? I won't say that I saw it coming, but I was not surprised at all that it hit. (laughs) And I was very happy that it did. Uh, I think a lot of people, and they were saying, a lot of Democrats voted Republican because a lot of people were afraid of crime, especially with the uh, bail reform. And also, um, would you like to comment on the bail reform? I, I really would like to hear your input on that if you can. If you can't, I understand. No, I can comment on bail reform. <laughs> it's insane. What it's doing is just making a revolving door of the justice system where violent criminals are, are committing crimes against people. And then they're, you know, it's a joke, I, which is why I can't understand why anybody would fight with the cops, because you're just going to get locked up. You're going to go get processed and you're going to come right back out that same day. And that's exactly what's happening. And then you see them just go out and commit another crime. I think there was one guy who committed a a dozen burglaries within a matter of days or something mm-hmm. uh, and, and why not because they're just going to let you back out again when there's no consequences to their actions but criminals are they're predators they're not stupid just like a predator in the wild they're not going to pick on something or someone that can pe- potentially hurt them and they're not going to be able to then capture prey provide for their their children predators criminals here they're not going to do something that they know they're going to get put in jail for a long time or go after someone that they know can hurt them. So they pick on weaker people, and when they see the laws aren't being enforced, they keep on breaking them. Like you have these mobs over in, I think, San Francisco, 80 people at a time rushing these high-end stores, stealing up to, I think, $900 worth of goods, and and nobody even can stop them. I mean, with with those numbers, it would be hard to stop them in the first place. And that's that's what I wanted to bring up. You're right. In San Francisco, yeah. Target and Walgreens had to shut down their stores earlier uh, in the day because people would come in and and please look this up, listeners. If you do not believe us, you people would come in, 
pick up whatever they wanted and walk out the door with it. And nobody would stop them and attempt anything because they were afraid. And so therefore they had limited shelves, spaces of of product because people were walking out. Right. You know, so yeah. And it's scary. Just like the crime in the city, it's risen dramatically. I understand in the eighties, it was really high. I wasn't living here at the time. And then it, it came dramatically down when Mayor Giuliani took over. And now it's back to being high crime. And it's excessive almost every day I'm seeing on the news of what's going on. People are just getting jumped, oh, getting hit yes. over the head. They're getting kicked. They're getting, you know, and it's funny. And it's not just one person doing it to one. It's not a one-on-one crime anymore. Right. It's like four or five right. of people getting together. And do you believe the bail reform had something to do with that? A hundred percent, because the criminals, there's no uh, consequences. So then other people who maybe were on the fence about, you know, trying to get a job or maybe hopping along with their friends and conducting some criminality, like, yeah, screw it. I'll go do that with, with that person because nothing's happening to them. So it's a lot easier than getting a legitimate job. And crime is up everywhere. Like in the, in the book, I show or I detail how car thefts in 2020 in New York City up 67%. Burglaries, forty-two percent. Homicides, forty-four percent. Shootings, ninety-seven percent. Every aspect, and you know, and that's just not New York. That's in big cities across the country. And that's and what happens really- when you have a defund the police movement that takes off across the country. Typically, the worst being in these democratic-led cities where they push the uh, the lockdowns on not letting the police do their jobs and empowering the criminals, activist DAs that don't want to prosecute low-level crimes same story now do you think it's what is it going to take to get racism down to where it's not really racism it's only um i mean i do believe racism does exist okay but i think more now than ever what is it going to take to get this out of the public to where it's not really racism it's divide and conquer the media want to make money on these stories i mean it's just Uh, it's so incredible in this day and age in 2021 well we need our leaders and i would say especially our community leaders our african-american leaders and communities to tell their people to educate them and show them the facts of how they're being fed a lie and it's hurting themselves more than anybody else but when yeah. people are scared, how do you, so they, scared. they right. don't know what to do besides reading your book. Cause your book is really, it's filled with facts. It's not just your, that's what I like the with facts. So yeah. and, I kept um, my opinion out of it because as you, when you do a master's thesis and, and pretty much your whole master's um, degree, every paper you write devoid of your personal feelings, you're going, it's a scientific research where exactly. you just show the facts. And one, one fact I wanted to throw out for your audience, which I think this tells it all. From 2015 to 2018, there was 3,668 deadly police shootings, as documented by the Washington Post. That's like the go-to database for politicians, activists. That's where they all say, look at how many, how many black people the police are shooting. So in those four years, 3,668 total shootings. Of those... There was 1,880 of those victims, or not really victims, because most of that was justified. Subjects, they were white. So half of the subjects were white. 948 were black. But now when you look at, and I use the USA Today paper because it had the largest distribution across the country. I looked at their front page stories, the stories and then the teasers where there's like a a few lines and then you look inside the paper and it shows you more. They had 82 stories covering deadly police shootings. Um, right, 82 stories naming 57 separate black individuals that were shot by the police a total of 132 times and one lone white subject was mentioned in a story about two blacks that were shot. <laughs> how, how can you, I mean, the bias is crazy. It's 120 times more likely to, that they're portraying somebody of color than a white person while the white subjects are shot at a rate two to one to the blacks so this also feeds it's dividing but it also feeds into the stereotypical black person that uh 
are always involved in crime. So that's, it might plant a seed to some people. They don't want to be racist, but they're all like, oh, but they're always like this or always like that because you don't hear about the general crime. So what do you think needs to happen with the media? Because no one seems to be policing the media. No, they're not. Just like nobody's policing social media, which you know, like Facebook is already censoring when I try to, to share my book with people. Right. People have to keep on hammering the media. You know, um, as a conservative, I'm against, of course, regulations, but something's got to be done where they, 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 they can't be allowed to, to lie and just um, push, push the lies that, that they're doing. There has to be a way to clean up um, what's being put out, you know, with a disclaimer that this is opinion, not fact. Some, somebody has to know maybe- what the truth is. Do you think maybe that people should be, and, and this is just for me, like maybe like, oh, wow, I read this on uh, Facebook. I'm going to check that out to see if that's like fact instead of just, you know, it's kind of like going into the supermarket and you see the National Enquirer and like, oh, wow, Jackie O was seen shopping. Really? I thought she died. You right, know, but right. they believe that, you know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> do you think that people would should do that? I mean, are we falling as Americans falling into the trap of just believing everything we see and read on social media? Uh, B. Uh, a lot of people, low information voters. And yeah, they, they read something that appeals to what they already are predisposed to believe. And then they just jump on it without verifying it. And like you said, with my book, over 1100 references, because I, I researched every one of these shootings and looked at multiple news reports on them to make sure you know it wasn't just one person saying this you know you have to have your facts straight and it's so easy for people these days to do that google's everybody's fingertips right people don't uh, it is easier but a lot of people don't don't want to be bothered with that doing a research everybody's working crazy hours and you know they don't want to do the due diligence so it's easier to believe that but I really, I really would like to do is keep plugging the book because you do, that book is chopped full of dates, percentages, um, references. It's, I, I was just totally amazed Thank at you. The, the truth in the book that it, it's not just your personal opinion. It really seemed like it's actually was more like a reference book, to be honest with you. No, you're right. Because, and, and I think it should be used in universities and criminal justice programs. I and, was just going to tell you that. Thank you. Yes. I um, really believe that because I think it starts early. I've always believed in community policing as well to establish a relationship to kids right. early on from pre-K all the way up and as the kids get older to understand not just go by the media or their parents but actually really see what's going on to be mm-hmm. well informed well educated because these kids are our future and the ones who go to trade school college to a university yes. the military yes. they need to be uh, informed on what's going out there and not just public opinion Right. Alone, and, standing alone. And if you have a smidgen of curiosity, you can find the truth, you know? Well, <laughs> I, I think most people do, but for most people, it's, it's easier to believe. Right. Um, just like a lie. Mm-hmm. It's not really a lie if you believe it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's why a lot of people, you know, they, it, it makes it easier. And, um, but I'm really happy. I was really happy to read the book. Thank you. And um, believe it or not, I did. I, I took the time out today to to read it. I didn't have a chance to do it over the weekend, but it was. A, um, I will tell everyone that it um, it is an easy read because it's chock full of facts. There's no guessing. There's no BS in it. You're not talking about yourself only as a arrogant uh, manner. So it, it it's an easy read, and I highly encourage for people uh, to read it and. Um, and to uh, get an understanding of what racism really is, that it's just perpetuated um, by the media. Why, I don't know why everybody needs to be, you know, angry. You know what, and this happened to me, and this is a true story, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a woman who was, cut me in line at mm-hmm. uh, a department store, okay? And I said, oh, excuse me, I said, the line's this way. She goes, well, I'm in a rush, and blah, 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 blah. And I whispered, that's so typical. Now, she was a black woman, but right away, 
well, that's the racial remark I've ever heard. And I told her, I said, well, when I mean by typical, I mean by it's rude. Like right. to come in and just tell me that, you know, that you're commenting and you're already suggesting that you're just too busy. You're better than the rest of us to wait in line. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with a racial comment because it, but I guess she took it like that. Now, I don't know if that's something that she normally would. I wouldn't take it if somebody said that to me, but again, you know, I don't look like you're stereotypical, but I've had racial comments said to me and I don't take offense to it. When somebody says, Oh, once they find out I'm Hispanic, Mm. Oh, really? You don't look Hispanic. (laughs) And I just laugh and I'm like, well, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, I don't know what, you know, I guess I'm supposed to have black hair and and (laughs) olive complexion and have like 20 kids around me or whatever. But, um, they felt awkward and I made a joke out of it. I'm like, well, you know what? Not everybody looks who they appear to be. Maybe if we just put that aside, stereotype, you know, right, right. Um, and focus 100%. on, you know, who we are, what type of people we are mm-hmm. and what we believe in. And, you know, we might get along better, you know. Exactly. So, so what's the end of your thought with this book and racism? What would you like to see with this book go and do to a community, to mankind. Well, I know the title seems like it would be very divisive, but the reality is what's inside, it, it's something that people should be happy about because the findings are, is that when it comes to deadly police force, there is not systemic racism. Police are not targeting people of any color to use deadly force. Um, and I show, when I pay tribute to the 108 officers that were felonously murdered in the line of duty in 2019 and 20, I show how similar their murders are to the 90 shootings of unarmed people that were police involved in from 2019 to 2020. And showing you how just the flip of a switch, a cop can go from using being killed to having to use lethal force so, to not be killed. So that's what's really going on. Cops are just reacting to the subject's actions of their furtive movements of, and you know what? I think there was about 22 of those incidents where subjects were shot unarmed by the police. They were suicide by cop. Now the cop doesn't know that when that person's reaching into his waistband to grab a weapon, that they don't really have one, that they're just trying to commit suicide. But you know, the cop doesn't know that. So exactly. It, right. So these are the things that if, if you read the book, you'll understand that race has absolutely nothing to do with it. Not once in all the th- that over a thousand articles that I researched in these um, incidents was there ever brought up a mention of the cop knowing or commenting about the race of the person that they shot. Had absolutely nothing to do with it. So yeah. I would I would love to for this book to blow up and every police department I think should have it so they can talk to the community about it. It should be in the universities. It should be in, you know in the in the churches where. Um, that's a big place of community for African-Americans because it's them. They really need to understand that this is the reality that, that racism is not driving these incidents. So they don't act, you know, react to the police the way they're being kind of trained to do by being scared of us and maybe combative with us. And all that does is make a self-perpetuating cycle. No matter what your color is, if, if you're being, um, violent towards the police, then it's going to end up in violence. So we, we want people to comply with the police this way. You know, you could write the ticket, you can just give somebody a warning, somebody could be arrested and then they work it out in the courts. But at the end of the day, everybody's alive. Cops exactly. don't want to kill anybody. Yeah, I know they don't. And it's crazy to think that people that cops want to do that. Now, would you be open? I don't even know if you would even have time for this, but would you be open to promote the book? I'd say in churches and civic groups um, in that nature to talk about the book and promote the book to help people understand about how racism oh, absolutely. is perpetuated. I think that would be good for the book, for the, but also not just for the book, but for the community as well, to have a better understanding. This coming from someone who wrote the book right. and how the cops really are, that it, it's not really about race. It's about fear. Mm-hmm. It's about safety. Yes. Um, so I think that would be uh, something that 
would be worth putting out there to the local communities to talk about this book. Definitely. Um, I, I did about- suggest, I offered my services to uh, the Smithtown central school district to do that. Um, I did have talked with local leaders about it. And I'm also about to teach a couple of criminal justice classes, just uh, the book, like one hour for each class. I'm not going to give the, the school's name for fear of, you know, an administrator may find out and cancel right. it before it happens. <laughs> Cause that's the crazy <laughs> world we live in. <laughs> no, I told, I, I totally understand that we're not looking for a name, but that's very, very good for your book. And the only reason why I say that is because it, the community does need a better understanding. They're getting bombarded with racial right. undertones with this. And it, it's not good for a no. community to feel like everybody's against one another. No. Definitely not. Yeah. That's like with, with this crazy pronoun stuff, what I was doing in my campaign and which I continue to do on LinkedIn, my pronoun is American. You know what? That's it. That's a single descriptor that should join all of us together. None of these other divisive um, categories, all these different ways to divide us. It's, it's just insane. We're just, we're it all is. Americans. And, and you know what? And you're right with that. Everybody's, um, everybody's American. We all live in the same country. We all need to work, provide for our families, earn a check. We don't need to be divided. Right. Unfortunately, um, they want us divided, and I don't think that's going to work. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask you is mm-hmm. that um, what is there such a thing as racial profiling? Well, I think what I was telling you before that we don't profile according to race; we profile to the action. You know, seeing a particular person doing something in a certain area, a certain time. Okay. So, so that is it, accurate. Yeah. So it's not really racial profiling. It's a- activity profile or behavior profiling, I would say. Okay. And that sounds fair. It does. Because I know if somebody saw me in a neighborhood where I didn't look like I would belong, um, I'm sure somebody would ask, well, what are you doing here? Well, we could be concerned that you're having some kind of mental episode. You know, you have mental illness and you wandered into this neighborhood. You never know. And you know what? And that's a good outlook for that, too, because you, you, you just don't know. Right. And, and that's a good idea. And that's a good way of uh, putting it for people to know. You are looking out for us and the police are our friends. They, they are right. they're all helping us and strength are in numbers. We need police presence. I know I went to a um, meet the candidate night in Wyandanche at a church. Mm. And I also walked and knocked on doors extensively in Wyandanche. And the number one concern was in Wyandanche, it wasn't taxes. Right. It was they want police presence. Yes. They the, want that. Yeah. They welcome that. They want right. more police presence because they're scared. Without the police, I mean, then anybody can do. And they had mentioned street names where they want police presence. And right. they wanted my opinion on that. And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. If you're scared where you live and you can't walk down the street without being scared, nervous, or something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Of course you want police presence. That's what makes a neighborhood safe. Right. Is that there's police presence. And that's people of all ethnicities because you know, crime, crime is intra-racial. So the people that are committing the crimes are doing so amongst their own racial class because they typically live together. So right. these defund the police people that are pushing this typically white liberals, to be honest, are ruining, you know, the, the safety for minority, lower income neighborhoods. Um, and even, you know, when you have politicians that are minorities pushing this, like in the city, Jumani Williams, I think is his name. That guy mm-hmm. then goes to the safety of Fort Hamilton, which I don't know how he got that special deal because he's not military. You know, I can't even live in Fort Hamilton, but, he's, <laughs> you know, he, he's taken away the police protection for the people in his, in his district when he was, I think he was city council, whatever he was. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a double standard that like de Blasio, another one, he he can get everybody riled up to hate the police, attack the police. And then he's behind, the, you know, the gates of Gracie Mansion with his 20 person cop detail. So, and it all the- depends on perception. My first house I bought as a single parent and it was in an all black neighborhood. But you know what? It was a great neighborhood. There you go. I had great friends i mean my my kids friends everybody so it it was great there was always a police presence um it just happened to be that's where it was i bought my house there i was happy i was okay with it it wasn't um 
and no means they uh, minoritized or whatever it's called neighborhood where it was just black. No, they treated me, my kids the same. So, you know what? I, I wind in. I hope they get what they want, which is increased police presence. Thank you, Mike, so much. This is a great book. I encourage Thank you very much, Catherine. I really do. I encourage everybody to get this book, Justify Deadly Force and the Myth of Systemic Racism. You can get it on Amazon. It's not expensive. Get the Kindle. Um unlimited to where you can get this book and i believe it's it's probably the same price um but if you want you can go buy it can they buy it in a bookstore is it just online yes it's um it should be available in the bookstores it's definitely available in the bookstores online and uh, you can also go to jdf that's short for justified deadly force jdfinformation.com where you can get a link to buy the book and then you can see i continue the book into the current year, showing the incidents of uh, officers being murdered, the deadly police shootings. Um, so I'm keeping up with it, continuing. So we have the statistics and we can show. And uh, just real quick on that campaign you mentioned earlier, I just want to say what an amazing campaign team I had. I was just the face of it. They did all the work behind the scenes, hitting the doors, all the cops behind me, the, the union members. It was a phenomenal turnout. All the patriots, patriot groups. So, I, you know, it was that big red wave you spoke about, and I just happened to be the face of it for the 13th LD, and it, it was and an you, honor. And you sure, you, a lot of us were the face of it, especially me being a female, Hispanic female. I was actually the face of the red wave, and I was proud to do that. Um, everybody, again, it's called Justify Deadly Force and the Myth of Systemic Racism. You can go on Kindle. It was so easy to get. And or Amazon and go ahead and get it. And please, it is up to date and it's not just a New York thing. It is nope. references across the country. Yes. And it is very up to date. So I encourage everyone to read it to get a better understanding of how racism really doesn't exist, only what the media puts out. Thank you so much, Mike. And it was such a pleasure meeting you. And I thank you, Catherine. You soon. It, whatever you're doing out there, you're doing great. You're doing great work. Thank you very much. You as well. I'm excited to hear. Uh, have you gotten the final word on yours on your campaign? Uh, yes. I, that night that we were there last week, I. <laughs> oh, you did. That night, Jesse Garcia, who was the chairman of the Suffolk Republican Committee, right. uh, let me know. I did, in fact, lost. It was a very extremely narrow margin. But guess what? I am running in 2022. Awesome. So I, it's look at I'm just unstoppable. I'm going to keep going and keep going like I got nothing else better to do. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you at the uh, the Patriot Group's meetings and support you I and listening to you talk. I will be there. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and this Me episode, well. and I cannot wait to put it out there and get the feedback, and I will definitely let you know. Thank, Thank you. you. Please do. I certainly will. Thank you so much, yeah. and have a great night. Thank and we'll you, talk Catherine. Here. All right. You as well. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. I want to say a special thanks to Mike and being our guest on this episode. His book, Justify Deadly Force and the Myth of Systemic Racism, can be ordered online on Amazon or Kindle Unlimited. Or you can go online at jdfinformation.com to order your copy. We know with so many podcasts to listen to, we appreciate you subscribing and tuning in. We also appreciate all feedback. You can reach me by email at Catherine at hercommunity2.com. Till next time, love thy neighbor.